We're living through one of those changes that historians will mark the end of one era and mark the beginning of another. T-E-T-C. The end times continue. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the End Times Continue. Recording on this, the 3rd of December. I don't know why my voice is so much louder now than it usually is, but something's fucking broken. I'm Dino, and you are. Uh, I'm Charles Manson again. Yeah. Second. Yeah. How many times have we restarted this episode? Uh, so for the, for the listeners, uh, we've probably started this episode uh, probably eight times at this point now. Yeah. Something's broken. Some, something in my audio chain is broken. So, I changed nothing. But you know what I did do is take a fucking Windows update recently. Oh, Dal, do it. Oh, my God. I fucking I changed nothing. I have a backup save of all my settings and I loaded the backup save and everything's still broken. So something is oh, fucked. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Microsoft will be like, oh, yeah, but what if we just uh, undid all those? yes it's the worst so i I don't know what's wrong i don't know what's going on but the it's things are recording now and that's this is as good as it's gonna get people (laughs) because i have no clue what's broken i have to sit down and dig through shit i might have to rebuild my entire audio chain because something is very broken um okay holy shit everything's very broken you know it's, yeah. i i tried to open up antiwar.com links guess what no archive.today or is and all these other fucking aliases they use they block fucking uh the one dot uh fucking dns resolver from cloudflare so i can't the listeners have no idea uh the pain uh that you went through it was like 20 like minutes of me minutes. falling down a yeah. rabbit hole trying to find a workaround and the workaround is basically that i have to go into all of my settings and set a a custom dns resolution in my fucking router settings to begin because i'm not using my goddamn isp's dns that's fucking insane. I'm not doing that. I'm not saying I trust Cloudflare, but I do know that one dot doesn't do certain things that ISP DNS resolvers do. So I'm not I'm not going to fucking switch back to my ISP's DNS resolver just to see fucking archive.today links. Fuck you, archive.today. The entire goddamn internet runs on Cloudflare's fucking infrastructure. You lost. Uh, yeah, it's a, you know, uh, it's, it's a bold move on their part. Uh, let's see how it works out for them. God damn right it is. They've been doing it for forever. I've always had, a, like, weird trouble with their thing. And it was always, mm-hmm. like, if I switched to a, to a device that I had a VPN on or something was different, I could use it. Um, and so it was, and, and, like, I could use it on, like, mobile networks. I never had a problem. Um, so it was always, it was, I, I've always had trouble with it, but I didn't know why. Until this happened, that I finally dug into it, and it turns out that they actively return bad IPs to uh, one dot people who are using the one dot one dot one DNS resolver from Cloudflare. Mm-hmm. So the b- because Cloudflare doesn't pass through fucking geolocation and IP data, so they're 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 actively blocking it because the one dot IP is more private. Alrighty then, or the one dot DNS. My bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I am I am just I am I am baffled. I am appalled. I am flabbergasted. I am 
all of those things. And then we go to start the show and the audio's fucked. And it, it not only that, but it seemed to break and then fix itself uh, without you doing anything. Oh, yeah. I didn't uh, fucking touch a goddamn thing. And it just fucking started working again. I don't know what's going on. The machine elves in your PC were, were like, what if we just did the funniest thing imaginable? Oh, yeah. And they just want to fuck with me. That's exactly what it is. You know, the, the goddamn... Yeah. The the fucking the the fuck dude I am I am angry I'm angry I'm angry I'm sorry I'm starting the show angry. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's great. That's that's a great momentum. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I truly I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. I don't know what's right. going on with my life. Um uh my this this series of events over the last 30 or so minutes has me questioning every decision I've ever made. Right. Yeah. Like, are you actually uh, right here uh, talking to another human being right now? I don't know. know. Like, right. Exactly. I have no way of knowing. Right. Exactly. Because the world is actively spinning off axis. And I am, I am, I am, I I feel like I'm about to be slung off into space. Retrograde. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what's, I truly, I, I am, I don't, I have no fucking clue what's happening. Um, anyway, anyway, um, there are things to talk about, though. We can't be stopped. Not by this bullshit. Right. I, I can't, I, I, I'm I not going to let this I beat me. I wouldn't tempt fate, uh, Dean, before the, <laughs> this no. whole, whole episode just crashes and... I refuse to be defeated. I refuse to be yeah. defeated by this. You know what else has been right. happening? Dude, my, my fucking graphics card is dying. I have, okay, I oh, use yeah. three monitors. I have one of them will just lose connection. And I have to go back to the graphics card and plug it plug it in again. And I don't think it's the monitor. It's one of my newer monitors. And it doesn't, mm. like, it, it's, 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 it's the one that I keep on, on portrait mode off to the side. Anyway, it, it just will lose connection and it goes away. And I have to go back to the back of the computer and replug it. My computer is falling the fuck apart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, see, this, look, see, this explains a lot. You've been obviously pushing your computer to its absolute limits and it's like no i'm done it's rebelling now that's actually you know what that's actually not false because <laughs> the first thing i did when i built it was overclock everything <laughs> before gpu was begging for mercy and you're just like no more yeah, yes. I will squeeze every every drop of yeah. performance from every every yeah. little piece of silicon in this thing <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it is. Uh, I guess. I uh, mean, it is what it is, dude. I just don't know. I just don't understand. Honestly, the machine's very old. I built it a long time ago, so it, it should be falling apart now. But it, I just I, and I, now you're age shaming it. Unbelievable. Yeah, it just, the abuse just never stops. It's a geezer. Age. It's a piece of shit. It uses a yeah. fucking walker to render blender renders. It's the worst goddamn yeah. thing on the planet. <laughs> Its mother was a toaster. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, yeah, it's it's well, motherfucker won't even run Starfield. I know it won't. I'm not even gonna try. Um, <laughs> no, it's fine. I've been playing Battle Bit. That's a better game anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> oh Christ! Anyway, dude. Um. Okay. Okay. So here's something that might cheer us up. Yeah, I have something that might cheer us up. I also have something that I think you're going to enjoy. Um, and that's the uh, the music that we have to intro this segment. Okay. Oh yes. Okay. Yeah. We had a beautiful thing happen. Yes. Let's uh, let's 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 talk about it. It's over, people. The wait has finally concluded. We no longer have to sit back and ask, is Henry Kissinger dead yet? It has happened. We are done. (laughs) Finally. Like, you know, you know, people always talk about, you know, uh, you know, when like these, uh, uh, like celebrities or like people who were like well known die, and it's like, yeah, you know, they were old. It happens, you know, it just happens. But the 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 worst part was that th- these people were like dropping like flies, and he was still going. Yeah, it was just an affront to nature. It, 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 it was just <laughs> an affront not. to nature. <laughs> like really, like you. So like you have this man. Uh, who just refused uh, to die. Uh, and now, you know, uh, nature, of course, got the last laugh. And, you know, here we are celebrating. So it it, it really is a, a beautiful moment. It really know? is. It, uh, yeah. It brightened my day. For humanity. Yeah. Yeah. When it happened, it was, when was it? It was the other day, right? It was like Friday evening. Uh, or, I can't remember now. Um, yeah, the 29th. Um, yeah. So that would have been, yeah, Friday. Hey, I was right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I had no confidence in that whatsoever. I should have just said it like I knew something. Um, yeah, we're, we're not going to get fact-checked anyway, so usually we can just say things. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, Henry Kissinger, uh, uh, who is, you know, who is, of course, responsible for... Um, the, uh, you're familiar with the uh, the the song uh, "Holiday in Cambodia" and uh, yeah. the 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 organization the the, uh, the Khmer Rouge and all these yes. things. Yeah, that's that's him. And what was that Anthony uh, Bourdain uh, quote where it's like you can't go to um, um, you can't go there without wanting to strangle Henry Kissinger alive? I thought he like said that. beat him to death, but it was something like or beat that. Him to death, something like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> You, yeah, if you ever travel to Cam, you can't travel to Cambodia without wanting to beat Henry Kissinger to death. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or something like that. Um, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, so Henry Kissinger. Uh, now there was. I was talking to some people about. It. There's the the sort of line that he was like a real politique kind of guy who who sort of understood you know the necessity of of what was you know. Uh, yeah, the the guy who's willing to do what's necessary, kind of thing. Except that a lot of the shit he did to was totally unnecessary, right? Like, um, like there was no reason for it outside of you know what people mean when they say necessary. They mean I like it. That's what people mean when they, when they say necessary. Yeah, uh, they're like I like this outcome. That's what that's what necessary means to to people. Yes. Um. So this was published. Do you remember the Henry Kissinger? Uh, the the uh, the headline: Henry Kissinger, war criminal, beloved by America's ruling class, finally dies. Um, yes. 
<laughs> this was written by Spencer Ackerman. Do you remember what this was published in? Because I couldn't see it. Because I couldn't open up the fucking archive link. Because they don't. Oh, to, anyway, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can tell you right now. I was, reopened the archive. It was Rolling Stone. Okay, it's a Rolling Stone piece written by Spencer yep. Ackerman. Um, <clears throat> um, Henry Kissinger died on Wednesday at his home in Connecticut. Oh, okay. So it was announced Friday. It 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 happened on uh, Wednesday. Um, died on Wednesday at his home in Connecticut. His consulting firm said in a statement. His consulting firm, not his family. His consulting firm. Ugh. Uh, he was a hundred years old. Um. Jesus Christ. Fucking yeah. subsisting. Why? In yeah. fucking baby blood. He drinks baby blood. That's what he does. Yeah, like like uh, like get out all carbon vampires. Like they like why <laughs> like you know? It's like they get to live to 100. It's like really? Yeah. Yeah. Um all the fucking rock stars over here dying at 27. The fucking neocons yeah. die at 100. Absolutely insane. Right. Um yeah. Well, not neocon. He predates the neocons, but you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, the globalists. Uh, he was a hundred. <laughs> Measuring purely by confirmed kills, the worst mass murderer ever. Uh, the ma- the worst mass murderer ever executed by the United States was his. Uh, was the white supremacist terrorist Timothy McVeigh on October 19, 1995, McVeigh detonated a massive bomb at the Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City, killing 168 people, including 19 children. The government killed McVeigh by lethal injection in June 2001. Whatever hesitation a state uh, execution provokes, uh, either, I'm um, sorry, even over a man such as McVeigh, necessary questions about the legitimacy of killing even the most unrepentant soldier of white supremacy. His death provided a measure of closure to the mother of one of his, his victims. Um... McVeigh, who in his own psychotic way thought he was saving America, never remotely killed on the scale of Kissinger, the most revered American grand strategist of the second half of the 20th century. Um, Yale University historian Greg Garden, author of the biography Kissinger's Shadow, um, where, I'm sorry, I lost my spot, estimates that Kissinger, it's so hard to read these from a TXT file. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, estimates that Kissinger's uh, actions from 1969 through 1976, a period of eight brief years when Kissinger made Richard, Richard Nixon and then Gerald Ford's foreign policy as National Security Advisor and Secretary uh, Secretary of State, meant the end of between three and four million people. That includes crimes of, of commission, he explained, as in Cambodia and Chile, and omission, like greenlining Indonesia's bloodshed in East Timor, Pakistan's bloodshed in Bangladesh, and the inauguration of an American tradition of using and then abandoning the Kurds. Quote, the Cubans say there's no evil that lasts 100 years, and Kissinger is making a run to prove them wrong. <laughs> Garden told the, uh, I'm sorry, Grandin told the Rolling Stone not long before Kissinger died. Quote, there is no doubt he'll be hailed as a geopolitical grand strategist, even though he bungled most crises, leading to escalation. He'll get credit for opening to China, but that was de Gaulle's original ideal and initiative. He'll be praised for the detente. And that was a success, but he undermined his own legacy by aligning with the neocons. And of course, he'll get off scot-free from Watergate, even though his obsession with Daniel Ellsberg really drove the crime. Okay, so, uh, Kissinger, piece of shit. Uh, oh, yeah. And responsible for, I mean, this is, that, that's actually a good rundown, and the middle of this thing is actually a pretty good rundown of all the shit that he did that mm-hmm. led to millions of people dying. Um... Uh, the green lighting of of the uh, Pakistan and uh, the green lighting of uh, Indonesia's and Pakistan's uh, weird 
ethnic, ethno-religious. It's fucking strange the what those conflicts even were. But his him basically saying, "Yeah, do whatever you want. We're, we're not going to do anything about it." Is a travesty. Now, is that to say the U.S. like should have got involved in those things? Probably not. But I mean, a condemnation would be nice. <laughs> yeah. In any case, um, yeah, uh, Kissinger was a piece of shit, and yes, his uh, existence is one that led to um, the deaths of millions of people, as is pointed out in that yep. piece. Yep. yep. And he has and, finally uh, passed. There's always going to be people who were like, you know, who will say, you know, you should not speak ill of the dead. Now, if that is like your belief and you're consistent in that, I think that's fine. With that said, the people who are always so willing to like stick their neck out always do it for like the worst people imaginable. Um, you know what I mean? And yes. it always seems to me that it's like, okay, if you know, if if you don't like that, that's perfectly fine. I am of the belief that when you're a person whose very existence causes people uh, across the world uh, death and suffering. Um, I think it's good when you're no longer here. <laughs> I think that is a good thing. Um, uh, it, it just It's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I think, and, and truthfully, right, it's like... Uh, you know, there there is some type of feeling of a grave injustice that he made it all the way to 100 when obviously his victims did not. Um, but but yeah, it's you know better late than never. Exactly. He he has a he he was part of. I, I will say this: he wasn't the first to operate on this theory that the United States can pretty much do whatever the fuck it wants internationally. Um, oh, of course, yeah. But he basically... Kissinger was the model for the neocons in the 80s and 90s and now. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the sort of Kissinger theory was what drove the, the neocons' uh, foreign policy theories. Um, ultimately, uh, unto the 20-year terror war in in iraq and or, yeah. i'm sorry the 20 year war in iraq and yeah. afghanistan and the ongoing war on terror that yeah. that has led the united states to do things like support uh genocide in yemen mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah and it's one of those things that it's it's this kind of foreign policy that led to things like the 1996 uh, Bin Laden declaration, um, and, and and the letter in in ninety eight that the the Zoomers were just discovering a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's that it's that exact kind of mentality, that exact foreign policy precedent that that mm-hmm. led to all of that. Yeah, and it does go back away. I mean, you remember what the U.S. did to South America, even even going as far back as like what Teddy Roosevelt and oh, and yeah. the the Panama Canal and all that garbage. But oh yeah, but that was the U.S.'s sphere of influence at that time was South America, and then yeah. 
in this kind of period during the Cold War, the United States decided, well, our sphere of influence is actually the globe. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and then and you know basically it's that yada 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 nine eleven. <laughs> <laughs> of course, yeah, that's that's just the you know the logical progression. Of course. Anyway, so he has he is dead. There's a yeah. there is a new grave to piss on. Absolutely, you'd love to see it. <laughs> there's a. Uh, there's another piece here that actually outlines um, what exactly he did in Cambodia and two Cambodians. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll start a little bit deeper into the piece. His mark extends beyond the United States. Kissinger's policies in the 1970s had immediate impact on countries, governments, and people across South America, the Middle East, and Southeast Asia. Sometimes the fallout lasted decades. In some places, it continues to be felt today. Nowhere is that more true than Cambodia. Um, uh, the rise of the murderous regime that forced my family to leave was in part encouraged by Kissinger's policies. The cluster bombs dropped on Cambodia under Kissinger's watch continued to destroy the lives of many, I'm sorry, of any man, woman, or child who happens to, uh, who happens across them. Indeed, when the current U.S. administration announced its intention in 2023 to provide cluster bombs to Ukraine, the Prime Minister of Cambodia was quick to call out the lingering damage the munition causes. Um... Prior to the U.S. bombing of Cambodia, the country was touted as an island of peace by then-leader Prince uh, uh, Norodom uh, Sanuk, I assume it's pronounced, uh, with a developing economy and relative stability. After Cambodia gained independence from its French colonial masters in 1953, uh, Sanuk presided over what was seen as a golden age for Cambodia. Even Lee Kuan uh, Yew, the founder of of modern-day Singapore, visited Cambodia to learn lessons on nation-building. The country's independence from France did not require any hard fight. Neighboring Vietnam, meanwhile, gained independence only after the bitter anti-colonial First Indochina War, which concluded with a rout of French troops at... I, I'm not even going to try to pronounce a Vietnamese word. Uh, a Vietnamese place <laughs> yeah. name? Oh, it's not going to happen. Um, oh, in yeah. 1954. <laughs> However, Cambodia's location drew it into a subsequent war between the newly independent communist North Vietnam and U.S. back South Vietnam. Cambodia wasn't officially part of the Vietnam War, with Sanuk declaring the country neutral, but Washington looked for ways to disrupt communist North Vietnamese operations along the Ho Chi Minh Trail, which cut across Cambodia's east with Sanuk's blessing and allowed the resupply of North Vietnamese troops on Cambodian soil. Uh, Kissinger was the chief architect of the plan to disrupt that supply line, and what he came up with was Operation Menu, the secret carpet bombing campaign with breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack, dessert, and supper representing different targets and missions within Cambodia. Uh, this is confirmed at a meeting of the Oval Office in March 17, 1969. The diary entry of Richard Nixon's chief of staff, H.R. Haldeman, reads, uh, quote, Historic day. Kissinger's Operation Breakfast finally came off at 2 p.m. our time. Kay really excited, as is president. The following day, Haldeman wrote, Kay's Operation Breakfast, a great success. He, be- he came beaming in with the report, very productive. So began four years of Kissinger's legally dubious campaign in Cambodia. To Kissinger, Cambodia was a sideshow. To use the title of William uh, Shawcross's damning book, exposing the story of America's secret war with Cambodia from 1969 to 73. During that period, the U.S. bombing of neutral Cambodia saw an estimated 2,756,941 tons of ordnance dropped on the 113,716 targets in the country. Uh, It goes on to talk about the uh, legality of that war and the damage that it caused. But let's scroll down a little bit. 
Uh, Kissinger's bombing campaign was certainly not the only reason for the Khmer Rouge's rise, but it con- uh, contributed to the overall destabilization of Cambodia and a power vacuum that the, Khmer- that the Khmer Rouge was able to exploit and eventually seize power, which it did in 1975, overthrowing the government. Led by Pol Pot, the Khmer Rouge inflicted unimaginable atrocities upon the Cambodian people. Its genocidal campaign across political opponents, Cambodian minorities, and those deemed counter-revolutionaries saw between 1.6 and 3 million people killed through executions, forced labor, and starvation, a quarter of the country's then population. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> you want a holiday day, in Cambodia? Uh, Thank Kissinger. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> in fact I, i'm blaming kissinger for the uh, technical difficulties you had before the show uh, you're right that was uh, yeah he fucking yeah. knew in fact, yeah exactly uh in fact and I, I think we could you know retroactively find some butterfly effect that you know he what he you know he did and actually caused uh, ended up causing the problems we had before I, I think that's reasonable if kissinger had never been born yeah uh we wouldn't be recording this episode Exactly. I wouldn't have opened up the particular pieces that I opened up for this episode. Yes. Meaning I would have used my computer differently over the course of the week. Yep. Meaning this never would have occurred. These 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 I'm issues sorry. with the volumes and everything would never have happened. Um, it's Kissinger's yeah. fault. Fuck Henry Kissinger. Yeah. I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I think I am of the belief that you can blame anything and everything on Kissinger um, and it'll be fine. Everything will be okay. It'll be good. No one will call you out on it. That's all right, because uh, it's honestly it's okay that he's passed because we still have, you know, people like Powell kicking around. So, yeah, (laughs) you you take your victories where you can. Anyway, it's it, it he uh it was interesting to see the internet start celebrating as soon as the news broke. Mm-hmm. The the no context uh the, the no context succession gifts uh account posted a mm-hmm. gif as soon as the news broke. <laughs> and it yeah. was a gif of Roman looking at his phone and saying some people are twit on Twitter are saying he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> it was a big deal. It was it was interesting oh, to see was. the internet kind of come together. Oh, it was great. You love those moments, yeah. So, but it, uh, he has passed, and and so let's let's hear the fanfare one more time to close it out. Absolutely. Uh, Henry Kissinger dead at a hundred years old, and not a moment too soon. Yeah, Riposo. <laughs> Rest in peace. Yeah. <laughs> you won't be missed, motherfucker. Um, yeah, yeah. I just love the fact that his fucking his his consulting firm released the news and not his fucking family. Right. Right. Like what? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what what does that mean actually? I don't know if anyone loved him. Um, well, well, yeah, but, but like, why? Why does he need the? Why does he need a firm like that? Like, what? <laughs> oh man, yeah, you, all these guys do that. They immediately, as soon yeah. as they're out of government, they immediately start lobbying. Oh yeah, 
it's it's fucking ridiculous. But mm-hmm. yeah, the that that fanfare, by the way, Final Fantasy fourteen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Final Fantasy fourteen end of quest fanfare. <laughs> um, which is great. I I I actually that I, that might be my favorite version of the Final Fantasy victory fanfare. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I think it's better than the Final Fantasy sixteen one. Um, anyway, what else did we we had other stuff to talk about? Um, oh. I don't want to do that yet. Uh, let's talk about... Okay. So, Carr messaged us. Yes. Yes. And he asked if we had been watching what was going on with a mm-hmm. particular case that SCOTUS took up out of the Fifth Circuit. And it's... Yeah, I was oblivious of... Uh, to this until he actually mentioned and uh, I was very intrigued. Yeah, I had totally missed it too. I I, I had seen it, I believe I had seen it in the Oye feed, but I hadn't played it because I didn't, like, it wasn't a case on my radar. But it actually is super interesting. It's the SEC v. uh, Jarkasi. The SEC v. Jarkasi. And that's the Securities and Exchange Commission, not the the Southeastern Conference. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) So... There, I have a couple of pieces from SCOTUS blog about this. One of them gives sort of the factual background, and the other one sort of talks about the way that oral argument went, which is always very interesting. If you're interested in these kinds of things, oral arguments are great. Um, because you get a feel sort of for what the justices care about based on the questions that they ask and kind of where they're leaning. And, and, and sometimes you can tell where a justice is leaning. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes it's, it's like they're just legitimately curious about a couple of things. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but the factual background here, um, okay, so next term, the justice will hear the government's appeal of a decision by the U.S. Court of Appeals from the Fifth Circuit that found the funding mechanism for the Consumer Protection, uh, I'm sorry, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau unconstitutional. This week, uh, cert petitions asked the court to consider, among other things, whether a, whether to reverse a fifth, uh, I'm sorry, a second Fifth Circuit ruling that invalidated powers of the agency charged with regulating investments. The Securities and Exchange Commission. Congress passed legislation in the aftermath of the Great Depression to rein in the markets for trading securities and other financial vehicles. To enforce these laws, Congress created the SEC. It granted the agency the power to regulate investors uh, through either lawsuits in federal court or internal hearings in front of an administrative law judge, or ALJ. In 2013, the SEC ordered George uh, Jarkissi and his advisory firm, Patriot 28, to appear before the ALJ regarding their alleged mismanagement of a pair of hedge funds controlling to, uh, $24 million. Jarkissi responded by suing the agency, arguing that its structure and enforcement powers violated the Constitution. Under federal law, investors may challenge only final in, uh, internal decisions by the SEC in the Courts of Appeals. Accordingly, a federal district court told Jarkissi he had to wait until his agency hearings had finished before he could bring the suit. The ALJ resumed hearings regarding Jarkissi's conduct, and the agency eventually charged him with violating the securities laws. His day in court finally having arrived, Jarkissi appealed as that's actually an interesting issue because he didn't really get a day in court. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Mm. Um... Jarkissi appealed his constitutional challenge. To, I'm sorry. Uh, Jarkissi appealed his constitutional challenge to the Fifth Circuit. A divided three-judge panel issued its decision in May of last year, nearly a decade after the legal battle began. The Fifth Circuit agreed with Jarkissi that three pillars of the SEC violate the Constitution. First, it held that Congress flouted the Seventh Amendment 
which guarantees the right to a jury trial in most civil lawsuits by permitting the SEC to seek civil penalties through internal proceedings instead of in court. Second, the appeals court concluded that the grant of broad authority to the agency to choose between those two options as an enforcement tools overstepped the doctrine that Congress must provide an intelligible principle when delegating regulatory power. Finally, the court ruled that Congress violated the separation of powers by shielding ALJs from removal by the SEC without the permission of an, extension of an external review board, while limiting the president's power to fire members of that board as well as the agency's commissioners. Uh, and the government, of course, is appealing to the Supreme Court, asking for a reversal. So this is interesting. The, the factual background of this is that he was basically part of a... <clears throat> it's not strictly extrajudicial, but it's mm-hmm. like it's an administrative hearing where they said, okay, you're guilty and you owe money. Oh, okay. Which, which is very... Yeah, it's really interesting. So, the uh, oral arguments for this case occurred, and here we go. I have the piece up for that as well. Wednesday's argument in SEC v. Jarkissi was oddly distant from the decision of the lower court and the briefs arguments of the parties. The decision of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, vigorously defended by George Jarkissi, the target of of long-running SEC proceedings, accepted three separate constitutional challenges to the SEC's apparatus. Specifically, it held the Seventh Amendment right to a jury trial does not tolerate the imposition of civil penalties in an administrative proceeding, that Congress cannot properly delegate uh, the decision whether it should use administrative action rather than civil action in court to redress alleged misconduct, and the statutory procedures for appointment of the SEC's administrative law judges violate the Constitution's appointments clause. Um, uh, the justices said not a word about the second challenge, which is interesting, and they made only one offhand comment about the third challenge when Justice Brett Kavanaugh suggested in passing that the administrative law judge's appointment won't pass muster with him. The rest of an unusually long argument, more than two hours, was devoted to the first question. On that point, the justices were deeply divided. Uh, The Supreme Court has decided several cases over the last half century considering the extent to which Congress can call for adjudication of disputes before administrative agencies where a jury is not available. One of the earliest of those cases, Atlas Roofing v. Occupational Health and Safety Review Commission, validated the proceedings under which OSHA imposes penalties for workplace hazards in administrative proceedings. Several later cases, though all involving disputes between private parties, have rejected various aspects of statutory schemes, most prominently the bankruptcy code, that shifted adjudication of disputes away from traditional civil courts with juries. As expected, some of the justices were wholly unsympathetic to the SEC. Justice Clarence Thomas, for example, has staked out a position in prior cases that the public rights doctrine, the idea that agencies can adjudicate public rights without a jury, cannot apply to any matter depriving an individual of property, so that it would be surprising if he accepted the government's argument here. The other justice clearly dissatisfied with the non-jury administrative proceeding was Neil Gorsh. He repeatedly ridiculed the argument of Principal Deputy Solicitor General Brian uh, Fletcher representing the SEC that the jury trial right is wholly inapplicable to agency proceedings whether, whenever the public rights uh, that the Seventh Amendment would on your account... I'm sorry. I skipped a line. Whenever the public rights doctrine permits Congress to authorize agency adjudication. For Gorsh, that amounted to the view that, quote, the Seventh Amendment would, on your account, dissipate, disappear, whatever verb you want to use. For him, accepting that result would allow Congress to overrule the pre-existing Seventh Amendment right simply by transferring an action to an agency. It's a very interesting argument happening here. Because... I'm sorry, continue. 
No, no, I was just going to reiterate what you said. That That's very interesting. And I was actually going to ask you what the implication of that would be if they ruled in his favor. Well, to talk about that, we have to talk about what's been going on recently with the Supreme Court and the way it's been dealing with these uh, executive bureaus. Mm. So there is a line of cases that's beginning to develop, starting with EPA v. West Virginia, where... The Supreme Court seems to be interested in reining in the authority that Congress is allowed to delegate to these executive agencies. EPA v. West Virginia was a case mm. where the court right. elected to, and I think we've talked about it on the show before, actually. We did. We did. Yes. Yes. The court elected basically to reduce the, uh, the amount of regulatory, independent regulatory power that the EPA has. Um, by basically saying they weren't allowed to do a thing that they said Congress said they were allowed to do. Whatever. Right. This is all by giving based... their power by proxy or to yes. a proxy, essentially. Yeah. Well, this is, this is an interesting thing. It's based on a doctrine that's called the non-delegation doctrine, which yeah. basically states that Congress has divided the branches of government the way, or I'm sorry, the Constitution divided the branches of government the way that it did in order to ensure that certain authorities were never with one branch that it should that it shouldn't be with so congress cannot without a constitutional amendment cannot delegate congressional authority beyond what the constitution says they have or or says they are able to delegate to the executive branch um, this is one of the reasons that Congress doesn't ask the court for advisory opinions and the court doesn't give them is because that would be the, the, the court getting involved in the legislating side of things. Well, they're not allowed to do that. And if Congress did ask, and in fact, I believe they, they did before, and this is where the principle comes from. If Congress did ask them for an advisory opinion, they would say, no, no, we, mm-hmm. we, we can't give you that. We're not allowed to write legislation for you. So. In any case, it's, it's an interesting thing here where, where you have a line of cases developing where the court is reining in these executive agencies, and the SEC is one of them, and reducing the amount of authority that they have to contravene either legislation or the Constitution. I'm interested to see as well what happens with some of the cases regarding the ATF. Because you have in the ATF cases, you have a, an organization that is redefining words so that they describe things that they did not once describe. For example, the idea of the uh, the pistol brace being mm-hmm. being an any uh, making of a firearm and any other weapon, right? Right. Redefining a pistol brace into a stock so that right. the the weapon that it's on becomes an SBR. Right, just yeah, defining yourself into correctness, and it's like, oh, see, we this applies now because we defined it this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and yeah. redefining a a machine gun to include things like uh, a bump stop. <laughs> right. Um. So it's an interesting thing. It's it's a it's a very interesting case. I I suspect that the court. I, okay, I shouldn't say that. I imagine it's going to break down this way. Uh, Thomas Gorsh Alito saying that the Seventh Amendment requires that administrative proceedings be held before a jury. 
that these kinds of civil proceedings mm-hmm. that because this is all they can do is these kinds of civil proceedings because it can't be criminal. Right. It, you're not allowed. They can't be criminal proceedings because that brings in all the other rights that the that defendants have. But if you're if you're defending yourself against a civil proceeding, it's different. So all yeah. these sort of proceedings are all civil proceedings. I am going to I am going to bet that those three justices at least mm-hmm. come down on the side of the Seventh Amendment. Okay. And yeah. the reason I say Alito as well is because uh, Alito. I won't say it that way. Uh, Alito and Thomas tend to vote together. I'll say it that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in any case, I'm I'm glad Carr actually brought this to our attention because this actually is a super yeah. interesting case. And I yeah, it, this was not even it was not even on my radar before uh, Carr mentioned it actually. So it's, it's when I was reading, it's like, oh, wow, this is very interesting. Like I said, I totally skipped over it in the Oye feed. Because mm-hmm. it just it was just totally not on my not on my radar at all. Right. So anyway, if that if that line of cases continues, it could be an interesting sort of glimpse at what they're thinking about or, or what they might do with the ATF. Mm-hmm. Because if the court is interested in in a case like this, if the court is interested in reining in the executive agencies, um, and they do so in this case. I could absolutely see them reigning in the ATF where prior to this case, I haven't, I've been sort of cold on that idea. I don't think that the court is going to really go after the ATF. I don't think that the court is going to, I certainly don't think the court's going to say that the NFA is uh, unconstitutional. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, and especially some of the justices on the court aren't going to say, well, Scalia was, was wrong when he wrote <laughs> Heller. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. So it's interesting. I, I'm not I'm not entirely sure how that's gonna go down, but if we start seeing a war between the executive agencies and SCOTUS, that could be very interesting. That'd be great, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, after Kissinger is dead, all bets are off, right? It's like, you know, the it's the, the floodgates are open now, so who knows? Anything can happen. <laughs> the planets are realigning. Right, exactly. It's fascinating. By the way, one thing we didn't talk about. Everybody was posting that. When, okay, so the ADL posted on Twitter how great Kissinger was. Oh, no. I didn't see this. You didn't see? Oh, my God. No. Dude, they got community noted. Let me pull it up. Oh, that's great. Um... Let me, I think it'll be in this, and I think it'll be, oh no, it's not in this conversation, which means it's probably gone. Um, okay. I think I, I think it'll be in my photos. I have to, I have to read this to you. This is absolutely incredible. Um, so the ADL tweeted, Henry Kissinger was a towering intellect diplomat, and practitioner who, not without controversy, helped shape American foreign policy with a lasting impact worldwide. A refugee from Nazi Germany and the first Jewish Secretary of State, he was unapologetic about his heritage and his embrace of the importance of American global power and democratic values. Oh my God. Kill me. (laughs) Well... 
the AD, they got slayed, dude. Uh, yeah, I, I'm glad. Jeez. <laughs> Readers added context. <laughs> <laughs> During a meeting of the Washington Special Actions Group, Kissinger said, quote, If it were not for the accident of my birth, I would be anti-Semitic. Any people who had been persecuted for 2,000 years must be doing something wrong. <laughs> Oh my god, I didn't know that quote. <laughs> oh my god. What? Oh that oh my god, the irony, the pure blissful irony. That is That is beautiful. Wow. What what a just grand slam of a community note. Oh uh, I know. Is. It's just 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 violated dude that is just oh man it's you you watch it and it's it's like watching a live leak video out of a chinese factory it's like really we're just gonna do that to people right oh god The community notes are like the best thing, like about Elon's Twitter. I mean, it, 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 they were there a little bit before, I believe, but it's still like you know uh, that is like of, of like the new uh, kind of uh, Twitter. That that's by far the best thing about. Oh, it. they're great. It's uh, like sometimes sometimes there's a couple misses, but in general, uh, it's been like just fantastic watching uh, people who deserve to be destroyed get destroyed. Oh them. yeah, so it, it's it's great. And one of the great things, too, is when you have people who have the community notes, like authority, whatever that power is that they get, that strange authority from on high to submit community notes. Um, yeah. People who have it will post screenshots of the culture war happening in the community notes, people like <laughs> like they because people will submit different ones and. It's mm-hmm. it's whichever one basically I think gets the most votes or passes a threshold or something. I don't know how exactly it works, but um, there's there's there will be like competing community notes. <laughs> 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 there was some on a um, you know low ping pandas Nvidia. Yeah, there was a there he he tweeted something that made a bunch of children angry, um, which he likes doing, and 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 the children who lied about their age on Twitter because all of his photos are marked to where they don't appear for anyone under 18. Um, Mm -hmm. so these kids lied about their age to get on Twitter. They're like 14 to 16 and he loves, he loves getting them riled up, but (laughs) they, somebody was had community notes power and they saw that they were trying to community note low ping. Like warring community notes. <laughs> war, war never changes. <laughs> anyway, um, oh, man, that's, yeah, yeah. Oh, here's the problem too. Here's the thing that's so fascinating about that. How many times have you heard that from like legit like anti semites on Twitter? Oh yeah, all the time. They're like, oh well, they must have deserved it because obviously all these other people couldn't be wrong, you know. <laughs> like one oh nine, they'll just post one oh nine on shit. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Yeah, and you, you you see this, and it's like that is like word for word exactly what they say. Uh, so it's it's just insane. Yeah, 
It's just like I, I didn't know he said that. That's a, that's wild. Yeah, he was he was fucking evil, dude. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I can't believe the mass murderer said that. <laughs> I am <laughs> taken aback. She's shocked, shocked and amazed. I. <laughs> Cool it with the anti-Semitic remarks. <laughs> um, speaking of sp- speaking of uh, uh, the ADL and related organizations, uh, uh, cough cough Israel. Um, <laughs> there are some updates on on what's going on over there. So on the last episode. Uh, we we I think it was on the last episode. We we talked about a piece where apparently, yes. much like with the FBI and nine eleven, um, Israeli intelligence had information that an attack was going to be happening, mm-hmm. and that it was going to look like what happened on October seventh. Um, it's a very similar story to we we drew the I think we drew the uh, the comparison to the fact that the FBI had all the same information about nine eleven. And and mm-hmm. and they knew like there was there were definitely people who were taking flying lessons who were you know had been to Afghanistan recently yeah. and like um, all that. Interesting. Very weird. Yeah. So all of that all of that was basically just looked over, ignored, right? And and apparently this is a similar thing that occurred in Israeli intelligence. Well, there's a new piece, <laughs> and. Mm-hmm. It says the following. Israeli officials obtained Hamas's battle plan for the October 7th terrorist attack more than a year before it happened. Documents, emails, and interviews show. But Israeli military and intelligence officials dismissed the plan as aspirational, considering it too difficult for Hamas to carry out. The approximately 40-page document, which the Israeli authorities codenamed Jericho Wall, outlined point-by-point exactly the kind of devastating invasion that led to the deaths of uh, about uh, uh, 1,200 people. The translated document, which was reviewed by the New York Times, did not set a date for the attack, but described a a methodical assault designed to overwhelm the fortifications around the Gaza Strip, take over Israeli cities, and storm key military bases, including a division headquarters. Hamas followed the blueprint with shocking precision. The document called for a barrage of rockets at the outset of the attack, drones to knock out security cameras and automated machine guns along the border, and gunmen to pour into Israel en masse in paragliders, uh, on motorcycles and on foot, all of which happened on October 7th. Yeah. Dude, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, that's wild. Uh, The plan also included details about the location and size of Israeli military forces, communication hubs, and other sensitive information, raising questions about how Hamas gathered its intelligence and whether there were leaks from inside the Israeli security establishment. The document circulated widely among Israeli military and intelligence leaders, but but experts determined that an attack of that scale and ambition was beyond Hamas's capabilities. We control the height of the flame. Um, according to the documents and officials, it is unclear whether Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu or other top political leaders saw the document as well. Uh, last year, shortly after the document was obtained, officials in the Israeli military's Gaza division, which is responsible for defending the border with Gaza, said that Hamas's intentions were unclear. Quote, it is not yet possible to determine whether the plan has fully uh, has been fully accepted and how it will be it will be manifested, read a military assessment review by the Times. 
Then in July, just three months before the attacks, a veteran analyst with unit 80, uh, 8200 or 8299, I don't know how you would say that, Israel's Signals Intelligence Agency warned that Hamas had conducted an intense day-long training exercise that appeared similar to what was outlined in the blueprint. So these are the things that, that we were talking about in the last episode. When intelligence saw that they were doing this inside Gaza, mm-hmm. they were doing this training, they said, guys, they're doing this training. Not only did they see them doing the training and know what they were training for, right? Because you're watching them. But also, right. they had a document floating around for a fucking year that said exactly what it was they were training for. You see them training for it, and it's, ah, no way, man. Well, that's just a conspiracy theory, Dean. Obviously, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, uh, but a colonel in the Gaza division brushed off, brushed off her concerns, according to encrypted emails viewed by the Times. Quote, I utterly refute the scenario is imaginary, the analyst wrote in email exchanges. The Hamas training uh, exercise, she said, fully matched, quote, the content of Jericho Wall. This is a document everyone had seen. And then they see them training for it. And they're still like, no way. Right. Yeah. I I mean, yeah, it's like, you know, uh, someone is running at you with an axe saying, I'm going to kill you. And then they run at you and they're like, well, surely he wouldn't kill me. No no way. (laughs) No way he's going to do that. Yeah, of course not. Why are you running with that axe, sir? Right. That's nonsense. What you're talking about. You can't kill me. That's illegal. (laughs) For Israel to claim that Hamas is such a threat that they that they're trying to make them out to be. They also have to admit at the same time that they are incompetent. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That the Israel Israeli government is incompetent is what I mean. Like the fact that they would in order for them to admit that they also have to admit that. Yeah, we knew this was coming. And. We just did nothing about it the whole time. Yeah. It's always the fucking story with these intelligence agencies, dude. Every yeah, time right. there's a big attack, it's like, oh, he was known to the FBI. Yeah. Either either they were involved or they knew about it and did nothing. Yeah, that's the thing. If they're not directly involved, read Trevor Aaron's right. The Terror Factory. Um, right. But, like, yeah, absolutely. This is... <laughs> this is more information than we had in the last episode where... All we knew on the last episode was that a woman with the intelligence agencies had seen the training and said, this is dangerous. There's something happening. There's something that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And that it was brushed off. We did not know that there had been a document circulating for a fucking year or almost a year that outlined exactly what they were training for. And they still said it wasn't going to happen. I can't <laughs> believe the line bit off my face. That's exactly I'm- right. How could this happen? Yeah, no, but, you know, I I joke, but it's the fact that, uh, you know, it's like no one ever holds government's account for the fact that uh, they claim to be protectors of people of of their citizens. And then they wildly disregard that uh, role of protector and that they almost never get criticized for it. Almost never. Oh, yeah. Yeah. well, because they're able to, they're able to like pass it off. It's like, oh, it's a failure of intelligence. No, it's gross fucking negligence. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. If they had somebody, like, well, how uh, let's could say, we have known? Yeah. Exactly. Let's say you own a water park, 
Yeah. And you found a document somewhere where somebody had outlined a plan to put a bomb on the water slide at your water park. The big one. The mm-hmm. big water slide at your water park. And you found that document. And then you saw a guy at your water park practicing how to put a bomb on your big, on your big slide. <laughs> and you were just like, nah, no fucking way. We're not going to eject that guy or have him trespassed off the yeah. property or anything. We're not even going to address it. It's not a big problem. Okay? And then he fucking does it. You're liable for that. I think you lose that case. When whoever's on that slide sues your ass for gross negligence, it's going to be like, you knew this happened. Hell, you're practically a fucking co-conspirator. Right. I mean, this is the, the, uh, like, the, I, I, am, I am baffled. I'm baffled. And you're absolutely right. Nobody takes these people to fucking task on it. No, no. It's like they can fail uh, and not just fail, but like be uh, absolutely negligent. Um, in regard to their own citizens' lives, and they never get called on it, ever. They, they can just keep doing it. And you know why, obviously, and we talked about this last time, because they're a monopoly. They, get, they benefit from failing. That's exactly like right. They can just say, well, this was a failure on our part, so therefore the only option is you need, we need more funding. We need uh, you know, more um, oversight into your lives to make sure this never happens again. Yep. Uh, because obviously, you know, yeah, they have no competition. So, yeah, it's, it obviously makes sense in terms of a monopoly that's like, yeah, you know, we could blame them, but obviously we just need to support them even more. We need to give them more resources. We need to give them more control because then only then will we finally be able to, you know, be safe. Yeah, because the question comes across where it's like, how could you let this happen? It's like, we just don't have enough enough funding or authority. Right, of course. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, <clears throat> uh, Israeli security officials have already acknowledged that they failed to protect the country, and the government is expected to assemble a commission to study the events leading up to the attacks. We talked about this in the last episode. They're going to have their own little 9-11 commission report. Um, and, uh, I believe, I believe we asked on the last episode, I wonder how many pages of theirs is going to be <laughs> redacted. Redacted, yeah. <laughs> um, the Jericho wall document lays bare a years long cascade of missteps that culminated in what officials now regard, now regard as the worst Israeli intelligence failure since the surprise attack that led to the Arab Israeli war of 1973. Underpinning all these failures was a single fatally inaccurate belief that Hamas lacked the capability to attack and would not dare do so. The belief was so ingrained in the Israeli government, officials said, that they disregarded growing evidence to the contrary. Isn't it interesting that um, uh, Israel will go out and say, we're, you know, we're surrounded by all these people who are threatening us. Hamas is a big threat to us, and that's why we need more power. And also internally, they're saying, ah, they're no threat. They could never do this to us. Yeah. Well, it's the Netanyahu doctrine. It's that we control right. the height of the flame shit. Right, right. <laughs> it's just like the U.S. It's just like the U.S. and the yeah. Saudis getting together to spread Wahhabism throughout all of the Muslim world. It's like, yeah, surely. We, we can. Tr- surely this isn't going to be a problem for us. Yeah, if we let if we let the lion off the leash, you know, surely everything will be okay. Right? Oh yeah, he'll be our friend. The lion us. Yeah, uh, yeah. We'd never get our faces eaten off, ever. No. <laughs> Another not. case of yada, 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 9-11. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> um, yeah, this is, this is uh, honestly, I want to say it's shocking. I want to say it's incredible. But frankly, it's typical. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that is upsetting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And again, these people are never held to account. They're never called on it. Uh, uh, except for, you know, maybe some like obscure anarchists like you or I or something like that, or someone who just like is like, you know, some like anti-war person. Uh, it's like, yeah, no, they're never actually called on it for just being like completely, completely disregarding the safety of the people they claim to protect. It's like, yeah, no, never, never called on it. You know, Scott's fond of saying it on, on like videos where cops beat the hell out of people for no reason. But um, mm-hmm. this is your security force. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> This is who has taken the responsibility for your security. They name whole yeah. agencies after it. Right. If the if they were a private firm on the market and you and there was some document that was leaked about their internal thoughts of like a certain like terrorist group or something, someone who wanted to do you harm and they ended and that group ended up doing you harm and you found out that your security firm was like, nah, they're no threat. They'll never hurt you ever. It, it's fine. It's all good. We got this. Uh, and then and you found out it's like, yeah, you'd be changing security firms. You'd be like, no, no, you, you do not get to, you know, believe that and claim to protect me. If not suing the one you have into oblivion. Right. Right. <laughs> like, I, I know I know my mind is there, right? My mind's always on legal mm-hmm. shit, but it's like... No, it, that's it, true. Your, your accountability point kind of leads me to it, because it's one of those things where you... you on, the, on the market, you absolutely could hold people who are this negligent accountable. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't fucking do it when it's the government. No. Yeah. Jesus Christ, dude. I, I just... <sighs> anyway, that's that's the the first chunk of that. Um, mm-hmm. Now, we also talked on the last episode a little bit about <clears throat> what is the difference between, or, or or whether whether it can be said that the Israelis allowed this to happen on purpose, um, particularly Benjamin Netanyahu and his government. Hmm. Um, I, uh, and I believe, and I think you made the point that, look, he's just evil enough to do it. <laughs> yeah, I would be shocked if I found out that it's just like, yeah, they just like, you know, they saw it was going to come and they did nothing. I, yes. I, you know, I, uh, I'm not claiming that's what happened, but I'm just saying I would not be shocked if that was the case. I, I agree. Um, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things that's like disturbingly plausible. Um, not to say that it's a hundred percent true, but as a theory, (laughs) disturbingly plausible. Yeah. Um, well, and I think it's at least closer to the truth than not, uh, you know, probably because you do have a guy, you do have an entire, I mean, the, the Netanyahu doctrine has basically been, yeah, we're going to support Hamas. We're going to make sure Hamas stays in power in Gaza. Um, yeah. We're going to protect their authority in order to separate them from the West Bank. And, and well, by doing that, we can destroy the idea of Palestinian statehood. I'm sorry, continue. Yeah, no, no, you're, you're right. But it, it's the classic example of like, you know, 
if you're a person and you want power, the best thing you can do is make your populace afraid. Because obviously, if you're positioning yourself as a strong man who is against these people who are trying to make, uh, who are you know spreading fear, spreading terror, it's like what better position do you have to be in if you're just self interested like that in the sense that you just want power, right? It's like obviously, if you just make your populace afraid, then yeah, of course you're going to you know um, you're going to get a, a long way with that, right? It's like the whole like well you know. Uh, we need to, you know, remind people that they need us type thing, right? That, that we, um, you know, um, if we can just create boogeymen all over the place, and this is Israel's whole thing for a long time, is that we're surrounded by all these people who want to destroy us, and we're like this big underdog in the region, uh, despite the fact that they could nuke uh, <laughs> every country who uh, basically stood against them. You know, forget that for a moment. <laughs> um it's just, you know, uh, it's just insane. It's just yes. insane. Uh, I am, I'm trying to find, to your point, mm-hmm. there was a, there was a quote from Chaim Weitzman, who was, uh, Chaim Weitzman was the guy who was, um, he was the guy who was high up in the halls of British power, who was basically instrumental to the creation of uh, of Israel, of, of the the mm-hmm. the the sort of deal after World War One that led to the creation of uh, of of Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, World War Two. That's my bad. Um, and and he was he, he was he was. In the halls of power in Britain, and he was asked at one point what his definition of a nation was. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this was Weizmann. I'm pretty sure this was Weizmann, and he had said yeah. that it's a it's a people of a common. I think he said something like a common culture, or something like that. But but his the the important point was united by a common enemy. And mm-hmm. they asked him like, "What's the enemy that that of the Jewish nation?" And he says, "Anti-Semitism." And uh, he was asked, what happens if anti-Semitism goes away? What happens if there is no anti-Semitism? And he was like, there's no danger of that. So it's it's core to the ideology of political Zionism, at least least modern political Zionism, post-World War II, that, that there must be an enemy. And this is something that the United States believes as well. This is exactly why we have the global war on terror. Well, the war on terror is the perfect enemy, right? Like things like, oh, for example, the war on terror and COVID, right? Why are these so effective? Well, because they're, you know, uh, uh, they're kind of, well, I don't want to say unfalsifiable, but because that's not, that's not correct. But they're invisible in some sense. They're yes. omnipresent, right? When needed. Uh, yeah. They're always there lurking behind in the shadow, behind the corner that you can't see. But, you know, the brave, the brave policeman on the corner will hold them back, right? Yes. If you just do what we say and give up your freedom, well, then we will have enough power to keep you safe, right? It's the same tactic every time. It's just replayed and reskinned into a, a new form um, over and over again. And it, it works, unfortunately. It does. Uh, uh, people get scared and obviously yeah uh, you know we can we can scare you into you know uh surrendering um a certain amount of things you would not surrender in other situations and look at where they are now uh, it obviously works yeah absolutely that's that is absolutely correct and the the uh, the, the thing that's 
so incredible about it to me is is the idea that uh, we know we know that blowback is a thing. It's yeah. so accepted that blowback is a thing that we talked on an earlier episode. I saw it being discussed on fucking CNN. Yeah. You never would have seen that in 2002, 2003. Mm-hmm. Ever. It's so accepted that the people who deny it implicitly um, validate it. Yes. <laughs> in, in their, uh, like, blood, uh, bloodlust for revenge. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely... It's ridiculous, and and it's only going to get worse. This is a there's a piece yep. here that from uh nine seven two magazine that is it was done. They did this with local call. These are Israeli outlets. Um, uh, Yuval Abraham, Abraham. I'm sorry, I pronounced it the <laughs> like the the Arabic way. Uh, Yuval mm-hmm. Abraham said <laughs> said Ibrahim. Um. Uh, wrote this. This was published on the 30th, and this has been kind of making the rounds on Twitter a little bit. Uh, Martyr Maid posted some uh, some screenshots of it, and Scott shared it around. And the Israeli army's expanded authorization for bombing non-military targets, the loosening of constraints regarding expected civilian casualties, and the use of an artificial intelligence system to generate more potential targets than ever before, appear to have contributed to the destructive nature of the initial stages of Israel's current of Israel's current war on the Gaza Strip. An investigation by 972 magazine and local call reveals these factors as described by current and former Israeli intelligence members have likely played a role in producing what has been one of the deadliest military campaigns against Palestinian Palestinians since the Nakba of 1948. The investigation by 972 and local call is based on conversations with seven current and former members of Israeli intelligence including military intelligence and Air Force personnel who were involved in Israeli operations in the besieged Strip, in addition to Palestinian testimonies, data, and documentation from the Gaza Strip, the official statements by the IDF spokesperson, and other Israeli state institutions. Compared to previous Israeli assaults on Gaza, the current war, which Israel has named Operation Iron Swords, and which began in the wake of the Hamas-led assaults on southern Israel on October 7th, has seen the army significantly expand... The, the, I, I feel the need now, every time that, that comes up, I feel the need to say that Israel knew about. Uh-huh, um, yeah. <laughs> has seen the army significantly expand its bombing of targets that were not distinctly military in nature. These include private residences as well as public buildings, infrastructure, and high-rise blocks which sources say the army define as, quote, power targets. The bombing of power targets, according to intelligence sources who had firsthand experience with this application in Gaza in the past, is mainly intended to harm Palestinian civil society to, quote, create a shock that, among other things, will reverberate powerfully and, quote, lead civilians to put pressure on Hamas, as one source put it. Several of the sources who spoke to 972 and local call on the condition of anonymity confirmed that the Israeli army has files on a vast majority of potential targets in Gaza, including homes, which stipulate the number of civilians who are likely to be killed in an attack on a particular target. This number is calculated and known in advance to the army's intelligence units, who also know shortly before carrying out an attack roughly how many civilians are certain to be killed. It but Dean, I, I, thought, I thought if you didn't like, you know... It, I thought Israel was just unintentionally killing these people. You know, I thought it was just, you know, they drop a bomb and they, you know, they don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, there's it, no it, it, way the they're out there bean no. counting human lives there's, and, and acting like these people aren't, 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 uh, aren't worthwhile. Right. Yeah. No. Their lives are totally I, valueless. You know, I, I thought, you know, when you drop a bomb, you don't really know what it's going to do. It might turn into cake on the way down. Who knows? <laughs> 
say. <laughs> Reminds me of the Fortnite event we watched yesterday. <laughs> the fucking rocket turning into a whale. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, we can yes, say it. You right. know, sometimes bombs just you know turn into cake. You well, know, I mean, it, look, it, it's a, yeah. There's always the chance the bombs a dud. So, like, really. Right. Yeah, they right. Obviously, they who can say they don't know. Yeah, it's on purpose. Clearly, right. <laughs> In one case discussed by the sources, the Israeli military command knowingly approved the killing of hundreds of Palestinian civilians in an attempt to assassinate a single top Hamas military commander. The numbers increased from dozens of civilian deaths permitted as collateral damage as part of an attack on a senior official in in previous operations to hundreds of civilian deaths as collateral damage, said one source. Quote, nothing happens by accident, said another source. Nothing happens by... Nothing happens by... (laughs) Nothing happens by accident. Nothing. These are not incidental deaths. Jesus. <laughs> Quote, nothing happens by accident, said another source. Uh, when a three-year-old girl is killed in a home in Gaza, it's because someone in the army decided it wasn't a big deal for her to be killed. That it was a price worth paying in order to hit another target. We are not Hamas. These are not random rockets. Everything is intentional. We know exactly how much collateral damage there is in every home. It, and this is supposed to make it better? I don't know if this person's defending the practice. I, I think I think oh, they're just okay. making okay. a statement. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, okay, never mind. I thought it, it, the way it, it sounded is like they were trying to say that they were morally superior to Hamas because they, you know, at least we know. Well, <laughs> honestly, okay, uh, uh, I mean, it does beg the question, are they? Right, yeah. I, that's that's how I interpreted it, but maybe I, I, I to be fair, I'm probably skewed on this. So. Well, no, I mean, uh, it, yeah. it, it does beg the question of, are they morally superior? The Hamas rockets are oh, random. Right. right. These people are knowingly bombing families. Yeah, right. <laughs> Who is morally superior in that case? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of questionable, right? Um, uh-huh. I mean, obviously both are bad, right? But if we're talking yeah. in shades of gray here, um, <laughs> okay, according to the investigation, another reason for the large number of targets and the extensive harm to civilian life in Gaza is the widespread use of a system called uh, Habsora, quote, the gospel, which is largely built on artificial intelligence and can, quote, generate targets almost automatically at a rate that far exceeds what was previously possible. This AI system, as described by a former intelligence officer, essentially facilitates a, quote, mass assassination factory. According to the sources, the increasing use of AI-based systems like Hebsora allows the army to carry out strikes on residential homes where a single Hamas member lives on a massive scale, even those who are junior Hamas operatives. Yet testimonies of Palestinians in Gaza suggest that since October 7th, the army had also attacked many private residences uh, where there was no known or apparent member of Hamas or any other militant group residing. Such strike sources confirmed to 972 and local call can knowingly kill entire families in the process. In the majority of cases, the source have added, the source, I'm sorry, the source has added, military activity is not conducted from these targeted homes. Quote, I remember thinking that that it was like if Palestinian uh, militants would bomb all the private residences of our families when Israeli soldiers go back to sleep at home on the weekend. One source who was critical of this practice recalled. 
Another source said that a senior intelligence officer told his officers on October 7th that the goal was to, quote, kill as many Hamas operatives as possible, for which the entire criteria around harming Palestinian civilians were significantly relaxed. As such, there are, quote, cases in which we shell based on a wide cellular pinpointing of where the target is, killing civilians. This is often done to save time, instead of doing a little more work to get a more accurate pinpoint, said the source. So all these arguments that they're doing all they can to limit civilian casualties. <laughs> right. They're doing all they can to limit civilian casualties without spending too much time on it because who really cares? Right, exactly. Yeah. What's the, you know, what's the worth of a human being versus some, uh, you know, a bit of time, right? Right. Um, the result of these policies is the staggering loss of human life in Gaza since October 7th. Over 300 families have lost 10 or more family members in Israeli bombings over the last two months, a number that is 15 times higher than the figure from what was previously Israel's deadliest war on Gaza in 2014. At the time of rioting, around 15,000 Palestinians have been reported killed in the war, and counting. Quote, all of this is happening contrary to the protocol used by the IDF in the past, one source uh, explained. Quote, there's a feeling that the senior officials in the army were aware of their failure on October 7th and are busy with the question of how to provide the Israeli public with an image of victory that will salvage their reputation. That was the whole thing behind shock and awe. If you remember that, that the, the, yeah. yes. the idea that you could show a bunch of bombed out buildings to the American public and in order to be like, look, see, we're doing it. Right. Even though all you're doing is making more terrorists. <laughs> right. Yeah. Look, Patrick, we saved the city. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. <clears throat> okay. Uh, I'm going to skip a, uh, a paragraph here because I find this one more interesting. From the first moment of the October 7th attack, decision makers in Israel openly declared that the response would be of a completely different magnitude to previous military operations in Gaza, with the stated aim of totally eradicating Hamas. Quote, the emphasis is on damage and not on accuracy, said IDF spokesperson Daniel Hagari on October 9th. They're doing all they can, Ace. Right, of course. Yeah. It's like, um, I, obviously, you know, if, you, if you're saying, you know, I, I'm doing everything I can to make sure these people remain safe, uh, up into including uh, bombing their homes, uh, you know, because obviously I'm, I'm doing everything I can, everything within my power, including dropping megatons of explosives on them. You know, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, according to the, to the sources who spoke to 972 in local call, the targets in Gaza that have been struck by Israeli aircraft can be divided roughly into four categories. The first is, quote, tactical targets, which includes standard military targets such as armed militant cells, weapons warehouses, rocket launchers, anti-tank missile launchers, launch pits, mortar bombs, yada, yada, yada. Real military shit. Um, which I don't think anyone would argue they don't, they don't have a good reason to bomb. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, even if you, even if, I mean, a base level of anti-war would have a problem with it, sure. But if what you're, if you accept that, it, that Israel has to do something militarily, then those are fine targets, I guess. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, okay. The second is, quote, underground targets, mainly tunnels that Hamas has dug under Gaza's neighborhoods, including under civilian homes. Aerial strikes on these targets could lead to collapses of the homes above or near the tunnels. There's another interesting thing about that. Um, there was a, uh, a, a CNN, I believe it was on CNN. I can't remember who the host was, but asking a spokesperson from Israel, um, you know, how did you know these people were there, that these tunnels are there and stuff like that. And the spokesperson from Israel said, uh, Oh yeah, we know they're there. Cause we built them in like the 1980s, in the nineties. 
And and she goes. How did Sadal get those weapons? How did Sadal get those weapons? <laughs> exactly. And and the 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 lady goes. Did you misspeak? I'm I'm not sure that what of what you said. And he goes. No, we built them. It's like what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, the third... Here's the I would know that architecture anyway. <laughs> exactly. Um, the third, this is interesting, the third is, quote, power targets, which includes high-rises and residential towers in the hearts of cities and public buildings such as universities, banks, and government offices. The idea behind hitting such targets, say three intelligence sources who were involved in planning or conducting strikes on power targets in the past, is that a deliberate attack on Palestinian society will exert, quote, civil pressure on Hamas. The final category consists of, quote, family homes or, quote, operatives homes. The stated purpose of these attacks is to destroy private residences in order to assassinate a single resident suspected of being a Hamas or Islamic Jihad operative. However, in the current war, Palestinian testimonies assert that some of the families that were killed did not include any operatives from these organizations. In the early stages of the current war, the Israeli army appears to have given particular attention to the third and fourth categories of targets. According to statements on October 11th by the IDF spokesperson during the, uh, during the first Five days of fighting, half of the targets bombed, 1,329 out of a total total 2,687 were deemed power targets. Quote, we are asked to look for high-rise buildings with half a floor that can be attributed to Hamas, said one source who took part in previous Israeli offensives in Gaza. Sometimes it's a militant group spokesperson's office or a point where operatives meet. I understand the floor is an excuse that allows the army to cause a lot of destruction in Gaza. That's what they told us. Quote, if they, if they would tell the whole world that the Islamic Jihad offices on the 10th floor were not important as a target, but that its existence as a, is a justification to bring down an entire high-rise with the aim of pressuring civilian families who live in it in order to put pressure on terrorist organizations, this would itself be seen as terrorism. So they do not say it, the source added. Various sources who served in IDF intelligence units said that at least until the current war, army protocols allowed for attacking power targets only when the buildings were empty of residents at the, at the time of the strike. However, testimonies and videos from Gaza suggested that since October 7th, some of these targets have, have been attacked without prior notice being given to their occupants, killing entire families as a result. Half a floor, dude. And the whole purpose is to exert pressure on Hamas politically. Yeah. You know, we just got to starve uh, all those Iraqi children because then maybe their parents will get upset and then, you know, they'll overthrow their regime. We just have to fly a couple of planes into a couple of buildings because then maybe the U.S. Right. military in, uh, will leave the Holy Land. Right. Exactly. Same kind of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. The wide-scale targeting of residential homes can be de- uh, derived from public and official data. According to the government media office in Gaza, which has been providing death tolls since the Gaza Health Ministry stopped doing so on November 11th due to the collapse of health services in the Strip, by the time the temporary ceasefire took hold on November 23rd, uh, Israel had killed 14,800 Palestinians in Gaza. Approximately 6,000 of them were children, and 4,000 were women, who together constitute more than 67% of the total. The figures provided by the health ministry and the government media office, both of which fall under the auspices of Hamas government, do not deviate significantly from Israeli estimates. Surely killing a bunch of innocent people would never backfire. No, it can't. Surely not. That's impossible. It's never happened. (sighs) Okay, I'm going to skip down a little bit because this is another interesting, interesting little chunk of this. I'll I'll link this piece because this is fascinating. 
According to the Israeli army, during the first five days of fighting, it dropped 6,000 bombs on the Strip with a total weight of about 4,000 tons. Media outlets reported that the army had wiped out entire neighborhoods. According to the Gaza-based Al-Amazan Center for Human Rights, these attacks led to, quote, the complete destruction of residential neighborhoods, and destruction of infrastructure, and the mass killing of residents. As documented by Al-Mazran and, nu- and numerous images coming out of Gaza, Israel bombed the Islamic University of Gaza, the Palestinian Bar Association, a UN building for an educational program for outstanding students, a building belonging to the Palestine Telecommunications Company, the Ministry of National Economy, the Ministry of Culture, roads, and dozens of high-rise buildings and homes, especially in Gaza's northern neighborhoods. On the fifth day of fighting, the IDF sp- uh, spokesperson distributed... Uh, two military reporters in Israel, quote, before and after satellite images of neighborhoods in the Northern Strip, uh, such as, I'm not going to try to pronounce that, and are all for Khan, named after a mosque in the area, in Gaza City, which showed dozens of destroyed homes and buildings. The Israeli army said that it had struck 182 power targets in, I'm not going to pronounce it, and 312 power targets in Alpha Khan. Oh my god. I am. I love fucking these uh, power targets. Oh you know? yeah, we just <laughs> make them. Makes them sound big. Makes them sound like right. they matter. Right. Yeah. Makes them sound like they are. They're strategically important. Yeah, it, it's like when you know you drop a bomb and you call it a surgical strike. You know, surgical, surgical, Dean. Yeah, very surgical. Yeah. Yeah, we're performing. So we're, yeah, surgical in the sense that, like, uh, fucking who's the who's the fucking Batman villain? Who's the 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 uh, the uh, plastic surgeon who just guts people? <laughs> oh, uh, prof- uh, pig. Yes. 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 Pig. Yeah, <laughs> yeah him. <laughs> that kind of surgical. Right. Um. Jesus. Uh, in May 2021, for example, Israel was heavily criticized for bombing the Al Jala Tower, which housed prominent international media outlets such as Al Jazeera, the AP, and the AFP. The army claimed that the building was a Hamas military target. Sources have told 972 and Local Call that it was, in fact, a power target. Quote, the perception is that it really hurts Hamas when high-rise buildings are taken down because it creates a public reaction in the Gaza Strip and scares the population, said one of the sources. Quote, they wanted to give the citizens of Gaza the feeling that Hamas is not in control of the situation. Sometimes they topple buildings and sometimes postal service and government buildings. Although it is unprecedented for the Israeli army to attack more than a thousand power targets in five days, the idea of causing mass devastation to civilian areas for strategic purposes was formulated in previous military operations in Gaza, honed by the so-called uh, uh, Dahia Doctrine, I, I assume that's how I pronounce it, from the Second Lebanon War of 2006. According to the doctrine, developed by former IDF Chief of Staff uh, Gadi Eisenat, who is now a Knesset member and part of the current war cabinet, in a war against guerrilla groups such as Hamas or Hezbollah, Israel must... Let's see if this describes terrorism at all. Israel must use disproportionate and overwhelming force while targeting civilian and government infrastructure in order to establish deterrence and force the civilian population to pressure the groups to end their attacks. The concept of, quote, power targets seems to have emanated from this same logic. Hmm. Interesting. So, you're, you're causing a panic you're causing people to be afraid in mm. order to get 
a political outcome. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. It really gets the noggin joggin. It really does, doesn't it? Yeah. It almost sounds like you want to create, uh, I don't know, fear hmm. among a population in order to achieve an outcome that you otherwise wouldn't be able to achieve. Like, like maybe a political one. Huh. Fascinating. That's just a theory. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it goes on. There, there are horrifying pictures in here. There's uh, uh, talking about particular attacks that occurred. Um, it goes further into the AI system that they're using, but this is a uh, this is a fucking travesty. And the fact that they, here's the thing, the fact that they are, are at this point admitting that it's like, no, we don't actually try that hard to keep civilian casualties down. In fact, civilian casualties are part of the process. This is, this is something that is incredible to me. Mm-hmm. Because all we've been hearing about, all we've been hearing about as, as, as people who were fucking furious about the way that civilians have been treated during this entire process. All we've been hearing is, well, they're doing their best. Right. Of course, you know, all they've been saying to American media is, well, they're doing their best. Well, they tried really hard, you know? Yeah. <laughs> they, they really try to keep civilian casualties down. They really do. No, oh, I'm sorry. What does fucking civil pressure mean? Uh, right. Absolutely fucking insane, dude. This piece does go on. If uh, I close my eyes before I drop the bomb, well, then no one is harmed, right? Because I can't see him. Yes, exactly. Um, there, the at the bottom of the piece. I'll just read it the way that the uh, the piece closes out here. Um, after 2014's protective edge, during which Israel began to systematically strike family homes from the air, human rights groups like uh, Batasalem, I assume that's pronounced, collected testimonies from Palestinians who survived these attacks. The survivors said the homes collapsed in on themselves. Glass shards cut the bodies of those inside, and debris smells of blood. People were buried alive. This deadly policy continues today, thanks in part to the use of destruction, destructive weaponry and sophisticated technology like Hebsora but also to a political and security establishment that has loosened the reins on Israel's military machinery. Fifteen years of insisting that the army was taking pains to minimize civilian harm, gallant, now defense minister, has clearly changed his tune. Quote, We are fighting human animals, and we act accordingly, he said after October 7th. Hmm. It sounds like the kind of people who I think that America should align with. Right, yeah, you know. I'd love it if my tax dollars went to these fucking cretins. You know, it's almost, this always reminds me of like, you know, whenever you hear about a shooting involved, a police officer involved shooting, you know, or like uh, the bullet escaped the officer's gun. It randomly landed in the skull of a child. Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, uh, they would word it something the lines of like, um, like, uh, child, uh, child dies after police firearm goes off. Spontaneously combusted <laughs> out of the gun. Wow. Can you believe that? Unbelievable. <laughs> God, it's just, it is, it is consistently, consistently evil. Like, there's no, it's so weird, dude. That, How that, could they know, Dean? How uh, could they know? They're trying their best, Dean. There's another little piece in here. Intelligence sources who spoke to 972 and local calls similarly claimed that in many cases, Hamas, quote, deliberately endangers the civilian population in Gaza, tries to forcefully prevent civilians from evacuating. Two sources said that Hamas's leaders, quote, understand that Israeli harm to civilians gives them legitimacy in fighting. There it is. Fucking blowback. In very simple terms, too. These these people are are, are uh, they they're just they are so clearly clearly the bad guys. Well, you know they what I can't mean? Be. They, they call, but, but but they call themselves the good guys. How could how could they be the bad guys when they call themselves the good guys? Oh, you're right. You're right. right. I'm I mean, sorry. Just, it doesn't it doesn't make sense. I made a mistake. I didn't realize. I didn't realize that the anti bad guy squad was was designed like. I, I didn't realize that they they couldn't also be the bad guys. I'm sorry. That's right. That's exactly. my fault. That's absolutely my yeah. fault. Um. Yeah. Because there's no. I mean, I, I can't think of. You know. Uh, any any reason why you would name yourself the bad guy, anti-bad guy, bad guy killing squad. Um, of course. You know, if you're the bad guys. Right. Jesus Christ. The more that comes out about this, you know, I've been saying, every time there's an event, I've been saying in 20 years, the facts that come out about this stuff are going to be fascinating. In 20 years, when the books get written and the people who are in the intelligence community and in the military actually decide to tell the truth, in 20 years, it's going to be incredible. I keep saying 20 years. I'm dead-ass wrong, dude. This is happening in months. In months, we're getting this information about the fact that they knew about the fucking attack. I had, I had no... I, I did not expect that this kind of information would be coming out this quickly. Yeah. There was a, a terror attack in Jerusalem. I didn't, I didn't say we were going to talk about this, I'm sorry, but it, 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 it came to mind. There was a terror attack in Jerusalem that was stopped by a good guy with a gun. He was, uh, he was a police officer, an off-duty police officer, I believe. And uh, he was uh, at the bus, I believe it was at a bus stop. Some guys started shooting Israelis. And this guy, a good guy with a gun, uh, stopped them. Uh, the police show up, or not the police, I'm sorry, the IDF, showed up. Um, this man, uh, Yuval Doron Kosselman, threw his gun, lifted his shirt. And the reason he lifted his shirt not only shows that he's unarmed around his waistband, but it also shows he's not wearing a suicide vest. 
And he starts yelling in Hebrew for them to not kill him, for them to not shoot him. They shot him. Uh, and then, because they believed he was one of the terrorists, he didn't die immediately of the gunshot wound. They let him bleed out in the street. They did not render any kind of aid because they believed he was one of the terrorists. This happened on the 30th, I believe. That's the kind of, like... We all make we all make mistakes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, honestly, among us. It reminds me of the Johnny Hurley situation. You remember the Johnny Hurley thing? Mm-hmm, yeah. Johnny Hurley uh, was in Colorado. He was a Colorado resident. He was a libertarian guy. Libertarian sort of pseudo-activist guy. Um, everyone who knew him said he was cool, and there were libertarian people from Colorado who knew him. He was active in sort of the community. Um, he stopped a guy. There was a guy who shot a cop and, uh, Hurley killed him and he went over to the body and he removed the AR from the body. The guy, the guy's, you know, trying to disarm the guy in case he's not dead. Well, um, the cops killed him as he was removing the AR from the body. The cop, the cop shot Johnny Hurley, killed him and then, um, lost a two point, I believe $8 million lawsuit or no, it wasn't a lawsuit. It was a settlement. The city gave a $2.8 million settlement to uh, the family of Johnny Hurley. 2.8 or 2.3, something like that. It's, it's the exact kind of situation. Except in this case, they just let the guy bleed out. Because they thought he was a bad guy. Surgical. <laughs> That's the thing! Even when it's one guy, they can't get it right. What are they supposed to do? Mm. <laughs> I mean, you remember you remember the story from the rave, right? That that the IDF was responsible yeah. for some proportion of those deaths. I, I haven't seen any confirmation right. of how many, but the choppers were shooting at the rave goers, the concert goers at that rave. Like I I, I don't. <clears throat> this is just it's just it's just negligence all the way down, man. Yeah, it's negligence at at very best. At worst, it is pure sociopathy. Pure sociopathy. And, and it's, it's inexcusable, and the fact that so many people are trying to excuse it, are, it's disgusting. You know what I'm saying? You know, you ever think how, if you just say, well, we're trying our best. <laughs> <laughs> if we just say we're trying our best here. Look, man, we had a bad day. <laughs> We're trying our best here. Uh. <laughs> oh, man. I'm so, I am so fucking done, man, with all the people who are just like, doesn't Israel have a right to exist? Doesn't it have a right to defend itself? That's not what they're doing. That's not what they're doing. Stop lying. Stop it. It's stupid. Stop carrying water for a nation state, first of all. That's fucking ridiculous. You're totally cucked. <laughs> and secondly, stop carrying water for this nation state in particular. <laughs> uh, I just don't I just don't understand the the, the, the perspective of, of people who do this. I really don't. But the good news is they're losing public support and they know it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They know they're losing it. There was that. I, I can't remember. I think we talked about it before, but that leaked audio that came out. You remember that? Where they were uh, 
talking about how, like, there's a generational divide in the people who support Israel. Like, the youth do not fucking care. And I find that to be just beautiful. <laughs> um, okay, so... Was that, was that all we had? Did you have any more? trying to think here i think that's all i had i know there was a lot of reading this episode and that's pretty dry but it's just a lot of information it's very informationally dense you know what i mean so that's it's dry but there's a lot there um god damn it why 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 did i when you said that son of a bitch man why did you say that it's why did I have that behind the scenes thing? Yeah, when they're talking about uh, why did I forget his name? When they're talking about uh, Star Wars and they're like, it is so dense. It just had so much going on in every scene. And they're talking about the visual vomit of all of that going on. Yeah, of the uh, the last movie, the um, the oh, the something. Fuck! Now I can't remember even what the movie was called. The well, Last was, Skywalker no, was, or something? No, 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 no. It was in the. It was during the prequels. It was when he was saying. Uh, it was like every scene is so dense. There's just so much going on. It's like there's there's so many explosions. Yes. So okay. Going on. <laughs> when George got carried away with the CG, yeah, yeah, doing everything on blue screen because <laughs> that'll look we, great. In 30 yeah. years you know you're going in for a surgical strike and you know bb's just sitting there and he's like you know i kind of got carried away <laughs> oh man <laughs> oh shit okay was that all we had yeah that's all i had all right um let's do plugs then man okay um, I'm actually, I'm off, uh, Twitter, so I'll just, I'll plug my, um, I'll, what do I want to plug? You know what? You plug. You plug. Okay. Uh, Pacing Joska, J-O-U-S-K-A on Twitter. And, um, uh, on Blue Sky as well, social. The show is T-E-T-C dot show on Blue Sky. And on Twitter, it's T-E-T-C show. Might give you enough time. <laughs> I will plug my Substack. Okay. Uh, Asarcus.substack.com. All right. Excellent. Um, okay. Well, that's it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Later, guys. Peace. Thank you for listening to another episode of The End Times Continue. For links and other information, come see us at TETC.show. Oh,